Well, hello and uh, welcome uh, to Part of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps uh, between the culture and the church and discuss the issues that other podcasts are afraid to even engage with. I'm Andy Bannister and I'm joined as ever by my fellow podcastee, Aaron Edwards. Aaron, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you, Andy. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm honoured to be on the podcast, really. I've been on many other podcasts recently. So. Podcast, really, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be on my own podcast for a change. Yes, yeah. that's true. You, which is a nice, if somewhat abrupt for Part of the Gaps, segue into, um, you know, regular listeners will realise that they haven't been regularly listening for a while. We've had complaints that it's been almost a month since the last episode. There's, there's a lot <laughs> going on. Patroners, yeah. There's been a lot going on in your 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 part of the world since we last recorded. You have um, you have officially been what fired, dismissed, let go uh, from Cliff College. You have been popping up on every podcast under the sun to talk about what happened, apart from this one. So why don't you bring this list to bottom of the gaps? <laughs> <laughs> heads of the stand uh, for the last month. What has what what has gone on in uh, in, in your world? Yes, that, yes, good. Yeah, our regular listeners no longer regularly listening is a, a good phrase. Yeah, we um. So yeah, I've been um very busy corresponding with people. I, I think I said in one or two other interviews that I've almost been like a full time correspondent <laughs> for, for about the last month, uh, writing things and saying things. Um. So yeah, I have in, indeed been dismissed by Cliff College. That was a uh, uh just over a month ago now. Um, so that, I think the last time we had an episode, Andy, we were, it was like the disciplinary hearing hadn't happened yet, I think. And do you know what was interesting? Our episode was used. It came up in the disciplinary hearing, which is really interesting. It really? Because, uh, yeah. So like you were used as evidence against me, but I had to correct it, which is really funny. Wow. What did they, so, what did they say? So, so the principal said. Yeah, the principal said, um, you know, I even listened to your podcast episode that came out, which must have only come out like two days earlier or something. And even your co-podcaster thought your language was, uh, you know, inappropriate. And I said, well, actually, I had to correct him because you disagreed with my language. Sorry for listeners. I, I Go and read it. I've written a tweet that kind of there's blew a, there's up a, tweet. a little bit. <laughs> there was there's a tweet. There's a, there's a tweet. Um, and... It was the language, you, your problem was the language of homosexuality, not the language of invade. Whereas he said, we're talking all about the language of invade. That was the word that everyone found problematic in that lovely liberal term, um, to be problematized or triggered. So um, I think he thought that you were agreeing with him and, uh, and, the, and the kind of Methodist, okay. you know. Well, let me just uh, be Matthew. clear. If, uh, if, if Ash is listening to this podcast, if he's been converted to a regular listener to the show, then, uh, then I did not uh, disagree with that, that particular. <laughs> in fact, he's due to be hearing uh, from me because I need to, you know, I have for some time been an associate uh, sort of, well, adjunct faculty at Cliff College, and I need to, I need to ask them to remove that status because <laughs> I don't want my reputation damaged. That's it. With that. Former. Well, indeed. Well, and that, I think that and that was interesting. Yeah. So that, in a way, like it was. It's funny enough. I, I didn't actually really begrudge any of the way the disciplinary hearing happened. Uh, Ash was actually quite kind and compassionate, in as much as he was still firing me, <laughs> um, but sort of just saying, yeah, you know, try and, and giving me the you know three months severance when he could have given one month, and was genuinely torn at the fact that he ha- he felt he couldn't do anything else. In the circumstances, I think he could have done, and I argued that he could have done. Um, but it was one of those things where someone's fe- says their or feels their hands are tied, and is trying to make the best of the situation. And then I said afterwards, "Well, you know, I'm now going to have to talk about this." And I think he was perfectly happy with me doing that. I said, "Yeah, I know that. That's kind of why it'd be good to make end the relationship here." 
um, and not have a kind of, you know, three months gardening leave thing. Um, and so after that point, I did, the association with Cliff College ended and then I made my appeal, which I even said at the time was kind of a laughable prospect because the appeal was heard by the higher ups in Methodism, many of whom had actually written complaint letters against me. So I said, You're gonna, is there, are there any Methodist leaders who haven't written complaint letters? You're going to have to find one of those who can judge the appeal impartially. Um, so they did find one. They managed to find one. And uh, yeah, expectedly, uh, my long appeal, which had all sorts of points, even as I was putting it together, going, I know they have to reject this because they can't do anything else now. Um, but I, I think they're going to find it hard to reject it. I made my case. I made my case for academic freedom of speech. I listed all of the articles I'd written publicly over the last few years, even journal articles and academic books, where I spoke about things, which, thing, yeah. where I showed that this way of speaking is what we need to be doing. And I'd never been called up for it and said, this is dangerous. This is possibly dangerous territory. Um, they just reiterated the same process point. You brought the college into disrepute. Um, and, and that was kind of foolish of you. And, and you didn't take it down. Uh, so therefore, because you didn't take it down, you know, that's an aggressive act on your part, etc. And we're well within our rights to do this. And I just think that's completely untrue and not uh, substantiated. But but clearly, it's just a different, you could say it's just a difference of opinion. But I mean, honestly, when you present like a series of arguments with various subpoints, and you get kind of narratival responses, just sort of like, well, in the broad scheme of things, I never really, it was never really a case of, here's point one, A, B, C, D, here are the refutations to point A, B, C, D. So in my appeal, it was more just quite generic responses that went back to the original process. Well, you know, you did bring them into disrepute. There is a social media policy. You violated that. I said, I didn't violate the policy um, because I, it's, it's very difficult to um, judge whether you, you're kind of deliberately bringing someone into disrepute by what you say based on the fact that you've been saying these things anyway for years <laughs> so it doesn't seem to be um fair to kind of you know go to this kind of level of uh you know, discipline straight away without any formal discipline previously like not even a warning not even a formal warning or anything like that you know conversations here and there we've had over the years but nothing official so it, so the weird thing about it is i then said this is what's going to happen i'm going to talk about it part not not really for my own benefit but for the sake that I care, for the sake of the issue, I care about it, and I care about the free speech issue, and I don't think this is fair and right. So I'm going to talk about it publicly, and he knew that was going to happen. But since I've done that, and I've been on, you know, people have been in contact to me to speak and interviewing me, he's not particularly been pleased with that, um, which uh, is a bit of an interesting one. So he's kind of been occasionally tweeting and then deleting his tweets, realizing that because I don't saw sound that, which good. is pretty, really, really <laughs> yeah. interesting. Maybe just for a laugh, we ought to put a link to uh, to the principal's Twitter feed into the show oh, no, I, don't, I, I don't want to be too mean about i don't want to be too mean about it it was just interesting that in the sense that like he clearly didn't realize quite how you know how many people were going to be on my side about it so therefore the response for the college is aaron's kind of lied to the media and made stuff up which i find amazing because I, I i have far more that i could say uh, that if i wanted to but the funny thing was i think he'd put a, a tweet on some on one of the many tweets that had gone uh, supporting my case um, had been like just to be clear, this lecture was not fired just for a tweet. The you know the um, many many people at uh, uh, at Cliff College still hold the view that Aaron holds and and are you know 
able to hold it because they clearly need to try and keep attracting evangelical students and they don't want it to be seen like an unsafe place even though it quite obviously is an unsafe place for an evangelical to express it as i expressed it and this is just the difference of opinion on on what the conservative view means to hold it with conviction and to want to express it in the way i did so if you care about sin and you want to then use the language of invade because you think it's quite serious you can't do that apparently but i wasn't told you can't do that it was just deemed this very generic if you say something that brings disrepute upon the college in reality he's brought far more disrepute upon the college than i have um, and i told him that and i've said that many times and i, I said it privately publicly it's mm. crazy to think that i've done more damage to the college than the college has done to itself so i don't know how the policy affects um those people yeah, yeah the, the, the social media person and indeed him ash himself who, who tweets tweeted out about it the funny thing was because he deleted a tweet um, it, Cal, my good friend Calvin Robinson found it and then uh, retweeted it to say, ah, oh, found this. Interesting that this has now been deleted. Um, so the kind of accusations that I've been lying, etc. So it's an interesting time. But like I said, it's a it's hard one because, you, you know, you don't want to kind of kick the boot in and put the boot in. But there is also that line of, of going, it's right to stand up for things that are, are, are just and, and true. And, and there are differences of opinion. So where they'll say, oh, you know, I'm not standing up for what's right and just and true because I'm apparently embellishing things. Um, I'm just perfectly happy to have an open conversation. They've not contacted me personally at all to say they're concerned about what I've been saying publicly, and I find that strange because I've I've contacted them. Well, I, I've been I've told them to their face what I wanted to say, and uh, they had the opportunity to respond to it, and they haven't contacted me, and now they're trying to slander me, which I find amusing. But we'll, we'll come, I get maybe maybe more will come of it. I don't know. Yeah. What we, what we will do uh, for folks listening to this, obviously this is just a brief summary of what's what's gone on. What we'll do is we'll put in the show notes perhaps a link to you know one of the many other podcasts and play, interviews that you've done, Aaron. Where we'll yeah, the story and more more details as the Christian concern one that I listened to that was very well done. Oh yeah, and others. But mm. the issue we want to talk about, obviously, in, in this show, in a sense, leaps off this. We want to talk about mm. you know what's happened with with cliff college with cliff college literally falling off a cliff you know this once great institution and it once was i mean a few decades ago if mm. you wanted as, as, as an evangelical christian who really believed the gospel if you wanted to go and get a great education and get all the training and equipping you needed for for ministry and mission or engaging the world i mean cliff would have been high on the list absolutely mm. up mm. there top five Perhaps, you know, colleges in the country where you'd have gone to get that kind of education. I friends historically have gone through it. Somehow we've now got to a place where Cliff has actually fallen off a cliff. It is an utter disaster, but it's not mm. alone, right? Other colleges have, 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 have blazed the same, blazed, have slid the same descent. Others are in that, <laughs> that process. Um, there is something quite rotten at the heart of, you know, theological education uh, mm. in the UK, perhaps globally as well, but particularly let's talk about the, the UK. Mm. So, you know, you've been immersed in this world for, for, for some years as a, as, as a lecturer, obviously I've, I've, I've experienced, you know, myself have gone through theological education. Have I teach in theological education as an occasional lecturer. But let's start perhaps with your take, mm. Aaron. Mm. We've, we've addressed the, the, the symptoms of what's happened with you, but mm. what's the root cause? What what's what lies mm. behind the way that Cliff have behaved, who have literally lost the plot, lost their very reason mm. for being, such that if you were to drag, you know, if you were to reanimate the corpse of Wesley, you know, because they're a Presbyterian, mm. they're, they're a Methodist college, and bring him onto campus, he'd, the poor guy would have some kind of seizure at what's mm. how, how mm. have they how have they got there? What are the roots mm. of the problem? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, you certainly yeah, Wesley 
Wesley's heart would be uh, strangely uh, frozen chilled. rather than strangely, yeah, strangely chilled rather than strangely warmed by what he sees of, of British Methodism today. And to be honest, so many evangelical Methodists know that they just maybe aren't able to say it um, as very strongly. And I just think that's a, a problem because so many of these institutions that have come in the, in the wake of Methodism ironically end up becoming so unmethodist like so unwesley like it's just unbelievable they they take one or two things that they say we're we're still we're holding true to wesley but really they're just harping on about social justice issues social holiness they love to talk about that because wesley did care about social holiness he cared a lot about um the wider culture um and he did care about justice issues massively but oh obviously from a from a completely different place to to what what it is today clearly what what Methodism today is doing is just jumping in the lap of secular prog- progressivism. It's it's frightening how obtuse so many of them are that I've spoken to over the years. And actually, I don't mean to say that they're all terrible. I just mean it's obtuse that they don't that they genuinely think that they're doing Wesley's work today um, in terms of how Wesley was imitating Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What, what Wesley was doing, what Wesley was willing to do, the barriers he was able able to kind of overcome. The, the kind of reputation, reputational damage Wesley was willing to incur for Christ is just not there anymore in Methodism. They care so much about reputation that they're, they're not worthy of the name of Methodism anymore. So that is the main reason I would say why Cliff has fallen because of its attachment to Methodism. The, the rot that's in Methodism in Britain right. um, has basically creep, crept in um, over time. And Cliff always had a really good way of saying we are partners with the Methodist Church. They do own the ground of Methodism of the college, so we can't, you know, and they, and they govern the college by having the tru- you know, trustees. I don't think every trustee had to be a Methodist leader, for example, but they clearly had to be in, in symp- strong sympathy with the Methodist Church um, and usually be a mixture of alumni and former tutors or whatever, as, as often is with colleges. But what's changed since COVID was money. <laughs> and so you know, these some of these kind of links are strengthened. And when colleges struggle for recruitment, they need to rely much more on that big funding grant. And Cliff's always depended on that. Um, and many colleges have similar relationships with, with their denominations, perhaps. But in this case, it came with hooks. Money always comes with hooks, doesn't it? And, and many organizations, um, educationally, struggle with that balance of how do you maintain your distinctive vision? So Cliff always is supposed to have been the evangelical wing of Methodism, and it still thinks it is that. You know, the principle now will still be trying to tell everyone that it's got that it's evangelical Methodism. Now it might be um, evangelical to to an extent within a very small microcosm of Methodism, but the vast majority of the world would not recognise what they've just done as an evangelical thing to do. Um, it would seem to be that they're moving in a more progressive direction, and they they want to say no, 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 we're not. We're an evangelical college. We just respect both views. We respect uh, the progressive side as well. They ought to just go full-on progressive because it would just be more straightforward and it'd be easier for them just to kind of make headway. They could probably focus on what they actually want to do rather than try to have the foot in both camps. It's not actually possible. And that's the sort of experiment that Methodism has yes. played with. So that's one thing. The money from Methodism is why Cliff's gone that way. Yeah, but let's just talk for a moment, Aaron, about that idea about the attempt to hold together things that don't belong together. I mean, that's also a, 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 a root problem, isn't it? We've seen we've seen that in Methodism. We've seen it in, uh, I think, to some degree in the Anglican Church. And the more I look at that, the more I think there's a huge mistake there, isn't there? Because the confusion in my mind is between, look, absolutely you want to respect those 
who hold a view different to you in the, in respect mm. them in terms of errors of the, yeah, yeah. Of the Imago Day, right? Someone who is mm. so far liberal, they've lost any aspect mm. of the gospel. I may disagree with them on everything, but they're still an image mm. bearer. They're still, they're still somebody I want to reach out to and try and engage with. But it's once you then try and get yeah. together and build institutions with them that the problem happens. And in other areas, you'd have no problem seeing this. You wouldn't if you were an organization committed to ending human trafficking going, well, we also need to make room for people smuggling. We also need to make sure that you know, yeah. people who, are, who, who think that people smuggling is okay, you know, feel at home in our organization. You go, are you absolutely insane? If you are committed mm. to the issue of ending human trafficking, then there is no space for anyone who thinks that it might be okay. And in the same way, if you are, you know, committed to the scriptures and committed to, you know, the, those classic hallmarks of evangelicalism and going, we take God's word seriously, even when it's inconvenient, mm. not just when it's like, okay, this is the easy bit, but the tough stuff as well. Then someone who's, you know, who comes to you and goes, well, actually, I want to completely redefine everything. And quite frankly, mm. I'm not sure I do hold this as sacred. And actually, I, I think, uh, you know, we need to perhaps, you know, uh, turn upside down things that we've traditionally understood and going, I don't understand why you can't turn around and go, that's lovely. Go and build your own institution. We'll be friends. We'll still meet for coffee. We'll still make sure we speak well of one another, but we we clearly can't build together. I just don't see what has caused that shift into realizing that is the end of everything. And I say we've seen it in the Methodist Church, seen it in the Anglican Church. And I, but I do think perhaps the broader issue there underlying that is, is there also this fear of, you put your finger on the Wesley thing, this fear of actually being tough in, in terms of engaging mm. the world. There is this temptation mm. for organization, Christian organizations, if they're not careful to go, we want to be, we want to be winsome. We talked about this in a previous episode uh, and therefore yeah. we must never challenge. We must never say anything controversial. In fact, ideally let's say all the same thing, the things the world say. So we must like, we blend in so that people yeah. look at us. Go, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got labor party and we've got the, We've got the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party mm. and increasing the Conservative Party, and we've got the media and the BBC and the Guardian and Owen Jones and everything. And, and we're mm-hmm. part of the same tribe. We all we all look the same. Um, mm. Yeah, this 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 fear of this fear of having people turn around and go, "Oh, you're different." And what boggles mm. my mind is that our friends and other faiths don't have this. My Muslim friends don't seem to find this a problem. I don't I don't see you know mosques going around going, "Hey, we need to bedeck the front of the mosque and." Ring <laughs> And and can we actually believe believe the same? Yeah, um, can we can we win more? Can we win more Muslims to the mosque by by being pro LGBT? I mean, I mean you, you just can't imagine it. Um, and so, so I think that's that to me is one root of the of the problem. Is that fear of gosh, what happens if people don't like us? Mm. Um, and look, Absolutely. this is not saying therefore as Christians we need to go out and be a, an unlikable jerks, but of going actually maybe realizing that actually if the world is giving thumbs up to everything that we're doing, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, there's a problem. And by the well, way, one last, I'm on a roll now, mate. One last roll on this. <laughs> uh, actually, the irony is that if that's your approach to the world, then I don't think you're even doing social justice well, because I've long had this theory and it's only a theory, but I think I could, I think if you asked me, I could give evidence for it. If, as Christians, we were doing such good social work that people really value us. People would then have more of a tendency to go, oh, what, you know, yeah, okay. Um, they may believe some strange things on these other issues, but because of the work they're doing in terms of looking after refugees and helping with the poor and doing those other things, you know what? 
Mm. And she will tolerate it. And an example, the most recent example of this was Kate Forbes in Scotland. When you have the Scottish mm. elections for the Scottish First Minister, and for those who don't know this, one of the candidates for First Minister of Scotland was Kate Forbes, very conservative Christian, tends very conservative denomination in in the in, in Scotland. You know, got lots of flack for holding, you know, being against gay marriage and you know believing that you know sex belongs within marriage and child rearing belongs in marriage all those things but she almost won the she almost won the election she got 32 percent of the of the popular vote in the first round and and, and higher mm. at, at the end because i think a lot of people looked at her and went oh because of a lot of other things you're really good value you talk sense you're mm. clearly someone who cares you're making an impact actually you know what we're not going to worry about the fact we disagree with you on these other things and mm. i thought kate actually proved that you can hold a conservative Christian line and a whole range of things, but just be mm. such good value across the board that people are actually, that's not going to be a showstopper. And for mm. organizations say like Cliff of going, don't be afraid of the LGBT stuff. Just make sure that you're doing really faithful gospel work in terms of preaching and proclamation and justice. And yeah, you'll get a few haters on, on Twitter, but actually the world will still go with you. And by the way, the, the other outside the Christian bubble, look at JK Rowling, you know, all the attempts mm. to cancel her, but she does such great stuff that, you know, she's mm. just signed a new big contract with HBO to do another, uh, you know, a massive new remake of the Harry Potter series, you know, for streaming TV. Wow. I didn't know that. Love, all right. Yeah. This has been announced because people love the stuff mm. that she, she does. And yeah, lots of people know that she's quite conservative on, you know, certain social issues by today's standards, but you know, <laughs> There's a few on Twitter trying to get a cancel, but the majority mm. of people actually yeah. don't because we love your stuff. Yeah. And that should be the church yeah. of going. No, yeah, that's uh, we love what you do, such that we we may not agree with you on these other things, but you know what? That doesn't work. Mm. That doesn't that doesn't and so yeah, I think ironically, the progressive end of theology is is doing justice wrong, quite frankly. It's not doing justice, mm. it's not making a difference. It's just sounding off on issues mm. that look good on Twitter. Yeah, no, I absolutely Sorry, agree. No, rant over. Yeah, that's it. Uh, any hands? Any hands? She would have responded to that sermon from Andy Bannister. That's good. Uh, no, <laughs> this hand is up. This hand. I see that hand. Um, is that Sandy Bannister's own hand? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I absolutely know. So I'll come back to the um, another reason for the the rot in the theological education. We can open up that avenue into yes. like wider within co- colleges. But just a couple of the things you say there. Obviously, J.K. Rowling. I don't want to get, we will get sidelined by it, but it's interesting because it relates to my issues around LGB, LGB, really. I was talking about homosexuality was my tweet. I think the T is definitely up for grabs. There's a huge movement of just rational people who think the T is wrong mm-hmm. and, and are willing to, even though JK gets loads of, not JK everyone gets loads of, you know, flack for it. The reason she's got a show on HBO is because she's anti T. I don't think she would have, she was anti LGB, which I don't think she is. So I, I th- and as, as far as I know, so I think there's loads of people in the spectator world. I don't know, maybe the trigonometry world. There's people on the right who argue about free speech, but who are like, oh, but you don't disagree with homosexuality, do you? Oh, ugh, horrible bigot. Um, so I think the win- the Overton window has shifted, and the yes, T is just not yet in that. It probably will be eventually. The T transgender will eventually be seen as like, oh, what? You're not down with that? Maybe, but some would argue there's a bit more of a reason for why that's been pushed back against so that gap between the uh, B and the T we'll see how that develops but it is relevant because it's all about the Overton window and, the, and the, which is kind of the lens for which the, the kind of acceptable political speech which just shifts over time so what what counts as right or not or not and in Cliff's situation with me I, I was told you know by a former principal there was a time not that long ago when if someone came out as a 
let's say there was a student in a relation in a gay relationship with another student at the college, those students would be asked to repent, you know, dissociate from that or step back from that or be expelled. And now the lecturer who speaks out against it, not in a particular way, but in a general way relating to doctrine, um, is expelled, as it were, fired for speaking out against it. So that just shows you the shift. And that's only about 30 years, mm. a 30-year shift. You can you can be the opposite effect, the opposite outcomes within an evangelical college. So though the college will now say we're still evangelical, well, are you rep- and they would probably repent of the previous instantiations of the college. Well, that means you're kind of repenting of everything all the previous principals who would have disagreed with you now, you're now moving into a new area saying you are the ones who are correct. And everyone previously on this issue was wrong and therefore kind of sinful. Because if you think you should be so respectful of um, LGBT that you should actually affirm a same-sex marriage and say this is completely fine, even if you technically wouldn't say publicly yourself that you agree with it, you just completely don't think it's a problem. You're kind of saying everyone previously should have repented because they were wrong and they misread the Bible and they were brutally unkind to all of these gay people because they stopped them um, flourishing and accepting the love that God supposedly wants them to have. That's just a really dangerous ground to be on. You've literally jumped out, gone out on, on a limb, on your own, away from the Orthodox Church, and that's just so dangerous. So that's why I kind of think these colleges who are kind of trying to stay evangelical because they know that it helps, frankly, the business, but also they, you know, they genuinely believe that they can hold this line of both together. I think there are lots of evangelicals in, in and amongst the um, uh, uh, the college, but it's just the kind of inconsistency of they just don't really know what it really means to be evangelical, and they would just look at my view as narrow, and they don't realise that theirs is the very narrow view. And so, those, so moving away from Cliff. Actually, one more thing about Cliff would probably be validation, because I think this relates to all the other colleges. Yes, so it's not say, just the Methodist that. issue. It's, it's, it's what you were saying there about repute. You know, what we're worried about what people will tell us. And you said maybe we should, we should be concerned if um, people aren't, you know, uh, if we're not getting in trouble with anyone. Well, it's not, there's no maybe about it. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Um, because the, the world hated me first. You will have trouble in this world. If it hates you, it hated me first. Bear that in mind, Jesus said. So it's actually kind of supposed, supposed to happen. Like, and you don't go looking for stupid trouble and picking pointless fights um, and trying to get in trouble and trying to cause quarrels and controversy. But you absolutely need to be ready for the disrepute that you will face for Christ. And, and, it's not, and, and that does mean on issues that Christ and his word proclaim and stand for. If I may, if you're making something up and going, oh, I have this particular political view that isn't actually mentioned in the Bible, but I feel like I can infer it, and I'm really going to go to town on it, um, and I, but I've got no actual scriptural warrant for it. I can't really claim necessarily that this is me standing for Christ. But on the issues of homosexuality, the Bible's really clear, and this is the Word of God. And when you're persecuted for standing up for what the Word of God says, that is standing for Christ. I know, I know, it looks like you're standing for a particular view of sexuality but that's just the bible's view of sexuality okay and then they'll say well it's your interpretation of the bible's view of sexuality oh okay how 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 long do you want to play this game for your interpretation of who christ is is your interpretation of christ that he's actually muhammad or that you can actually just complete you know continue the kind of hermeneutical spiral and just keep interpreting interpreting until there's nothing left of the plain sense of the text that's the game that they want to play and they've inherited this from the progressive sort of liberal academic world. And so it's this issue of validation from the academy 
that actually is part of the problem here because it's the repute that they want from the world. Lots of colleges. So Cliff's obviously in a further left position than other evangelical colleges. There's lots of other good evangelical colleges in, in the UK, but I'm actually not confident that they're not going to eventually find issues drifting to the left. They may not go as far as Cliff have gone because they won't have the Methodist pressure to do so. So you might have somewhere like Spurgeon's or LST or uh, Moreland's or others, but I don't think they'll realize that when they're plugged into the system where they have to impress the higher education bigwigs, they have to Mm. basically impress the government. And if the government thinks, if the Overton window changes and they say hate speech now means Mm. saying something like what I've said in my tweet, which is not hate speech, and it still isn't, by the way, even legally right now. But if it changed and they said, well, now you can't say homosexuality is invading the church. That's If that counted as hate speech legally, um, that would be a problem because then they can't speak out about it. And then they'll probably then end up saying, well, we better not speak out about it because of you know it, it'll be a problem for the optics and we better sort of keep quiet. We'll just keep saying Jesus loves you and then hope that you know that's still our standing for Christ. I'm sorry, saying Jesus loves you is not necessarily standing for Christ when um, – Christ's word is being uh, completely maligned and ridiculed by oh, these yeah, same people. Yeah. So if you did, who, who are also saying Jesus loves you, by the way. So it's like, yeah. well, not crazy. least, of course, the other the other challenge there. This is a minor is, is a minor point. But this is the you know the evangelist in me speaking. Is going is going. Yeah, Christ loves us. Absolutely true. How does Christ demonstrate his love for us? Romans five verse eight. He demonstrates his love for us while we were still his enemies, dying for us. But mm. why did he die mm. for us? He died for us because we are we are sinners. We are wretches. To quote that great John Newton kind of him. Mm. Unless you realize that, then then there's nothing to really be grateful to Christ Absolutely. for. There's no need for redemption, no need for savior yeah. and so on. You know, yeah. whenever I'm doing university missions, like many of us who work in university missions, you know, we always will show people, you know, how, you know, answer that question of how to model, how do you become a Christian? And I always, always teach people the way you become a Christian is that threefold prayer. Thank you. Sorry. Mm. And please, you know, thank you God mm. for creating me and loving me. Sorry that I've made a mess of my life and I've allowed, you know, sin to take root in the way it has. Please would you forgive me and restore me, mm. welcome me to your family and so on and so forth. Sorry, thank mm. you, please. Well, if you take the sorry mm. part out, which is what you end up doing if you knock the sin pillar out, and I do think that's yes. that's 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 a massive issue. But let's pick up on the accreditation piece. You're dead right, because that is the camel's nose under the tent. And I get the, the challenge here for the colleges because you you want to be able to offer a, a, you know a, 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 a education that has you know that sort of imprimatur of 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 authority and a degree attached to it but of course then with that mm. you know the camel's nose comes under the tent and then those outside authorities start dictating now it starts gently it will start you know with things like well here are the sort of academic standards and and structures and and whatnot that we want you to show and that that's all very good and valid if you're going to play the game then you need to abide mm by the by the rules where the next thing comes in is of course when slight influence comes over what you teach i saw this recently by the way that i am um, you know i do i, I work I, I do little bits of work for various you know uk bible colleges one of the ones i've had an involvement with for years because it's my alma alma mater is london school of theology so i'm an external uh, examiner uh, for them so that mm. will will happen is is i will you know i will second mark pieces of of, of work mm-hmm. particularly on their on their distance learning program around islam mm-hmm. and then they, therefore i get to see the reports that their you know external uh validating body writes they're, yeah. they're validated by um by middlesex university and middlesex university yeah. putting pressure on them to, to do the whole decolonizing the curriculum yeah. 
stuff. And it was great because in the Islamic stuff, it was hilarious. They complained about <laughs> male authors. And um, <laughs> Peter Riddell, who's a, who's a friend of mine, retired professor of Islamic studies, who's my, my, one of my supervisors, my PhD now down in Australia, Peter wrote this stinging rebuttal going, have you guys looked at Islamic studies? If we're teaching medieval views on of Islam, there aren't really yeah. lots of feminists, because pr- yeah. primarily what we're doing is primary sources. The students are reading yeah. Islamic commentators, and funnily enough, most Islamic commentators are not women. And then yeah. when it was and Islamic feminism hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. And then on top of that, right. if you look in terms of you know you want today to represent view, modern views of Islam, most writers on Islam today in the Middle East are men. So okay, there are some women, and absolutely, we'll try and expose students to those voices. But the majority mm-hmm. are. Are, are men, but if you look at the names, they're not white Western men. Largely, most of them are mm. Middle Eastern Arabic men, because that's still the centre of Islamic studies. And so, yeah. so it was great just watching that pushback, to which I added my voice mm. as as well. But I was like, okay, that's how it begins. And then before you know it, the next thing as well, Absolutely. we want you to teach this wider range of views. We're a bit nervous oh, yeah. about the fact that you know you're leaning towards. Um, you know, sort of conservative evangelicalism, you but, expose students more. And then the next thing you know is you're bending over backwards and shifting because you want to please the, the master up the, up the road. And by the way, the other place that I saw this, and things may have changed now, so to be fair, I don't know, but um, I was um, involved with for some time with an organisation called the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, which still exists, but it went through a relaunch because that was, that was the academic arm of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, uh, Ravi Zacharias, who founded that, had a massive moral failure. Whole organisation collapsed, um, and and the OCCA, Oxford Centre for Christian Politics, did a relaunch, and they're now quite a different organisation. But I still think some of the past infects them. And one of the things that infected them was in the past they were offering um, a one-year program in apologetics and theology, validated by Oxford University. It's pretty expensive, as I recall. Very expensive. That pushed the price up. It was well over twenty thousand pound mm. a year, I think at one mm. point for a year's study because of yeah. the cost Oxford put onto there. But then there were all these hoops that the Ocker had to jump through. And one of the strange fallouts from that was people began to notice that Ocker wasn't teaching much on Islam, very, very little on Islam. And, and as someone mm. with a specialism, and I, I would push them regularly on that. And the pushback against the pushback was, well, we can't be seen to be focusing on Islam because the university would get quite upset with us if we were seen to be targeting yeah. Muslims. So we need to be very careful what we do. To which I, I and others mm. said, well, hang on a minute, we're targeting atheists. You look at Ocker's mm. output, vast amounts of stuff. Yeah. You know, John Lennox yeah. is associated with Ocker. And, you know, John is known for his books critiquing the new atheism. Why is it that it's perfectly okay to critique Richard Dawkins, you know, generously and compassionately, mm-hmm. but very ri- vigorously, but we can't do Islam? And literally, it was a whole policy put together called preserving opportunities. Um, what, a fr- what, a fr- what a bureaucratic you phrase know, what a that is. bureaucratic phrase for, we're not going to talk about Islam. So the irony was, at Arzadim in the US, they had this wonderful annual conference called Understanding and, and Answering Islam. I was part of that, where we took some of the best critical work on Islam and we popularized it for the church and taught people how to use mm. it to, to reach out. We tried to launch the same thing in the UK and got pushback after pushback. And the odd thing is that the, the new look Ocker that's launched um, are still very, very, very nervous around doing thing around Islam, which mm. is ir- ironic because you've got this organization that wants to be the kind of gold standard for learning yeah. to do apologetics in the UK. We're going to have 13 million Muslims here in the UK by 2050. But if you want to go to Ocker and specialize in Islamic studies, good luck to you. 
And that's an yeah. example of the camel's nose under the tent. And Absolutely. the tent now leans very weirdly in that um, still is, you know. So anyway, just a, a, a cautionary story about even with the best will in the world, you know, and don't mishear me. I'm not saying that Ocker has gone liberal, nothing like it. They're a great mm. organization. I have many friends who work there. But their output has been shifted because of decisions yeah. made in the past. Of course. And it's, it's all about this same thing about repute. It's, this is like, like again, my, my, I was fired for bringing the college into disrepute for sharing a conservative view. And your beard. But, you know, really brought the college. My beard. I mean, the beard obviously brings it you know, out. out to, for, yeah, but it's just, it's just a really sad thing because it, it's, there's so much about this in the New Testament. So Christian organizations, institutions, especially those who are supposed to be teaching and training leaders who are going to lead the church in the next generation in the kind of battle that we're in, the kind of anti-Christian moment we're in, in the, in the Western world especially, but it's going to infiltrate beyond the Western world as well. It's it's mad to think that we should be continually moving left and left and trying to be so worried about what the literati or the elite think of us. So th- the irony is, you know, I'm, as someone who's been a professional academic, like in and around the conferences, doing papers, writing monographs, discussing, being involved as an external examiner. Like, in fact, I'm also an external examiner at LST for another program. So we should we should combine forces. Are we allowed to confer? I don't know. Um, but it's yeah. an interesting. But being on the inside, you just see the way that the repute has shifted the dynamic. Now, all of the universities that were worth their salt were set up by Christians anyway. Like in so, so Oxford and Cambridge being perfect examples of them. Um, so the historic universities were part of kind of the fruition of medieval Christendom, and then modern universities, even um, if you take from the sort of nineteenth century, they still they they've they've taken a different tack and they've kind of taken the fruit of the Christian sort of heritage and they've tried to do, make it in a different direction, which is more from the Enlightenment. Um, sort of basis, but they still run on broadly Christian principles. Loads of the American, great American universities were founded originally as kind of seminaries often, and they've kind of the, and the theology element gradually gets diminished and diminished over time. And it doesn't even take that long for that to be so eroded that the, the theology departments in universities today are seen as like, what, what are you guys doing here? Like, I, I was at a conference, you know, something like probably 12 years ago, and there was a big hoo-ha of fear amongst all the theologians in britain and all with academic posts who were like worried because constantly the pressure from within their university was why do we have a theology department like what that's kind of like a it's like a creative writing department isn't it you're literally dealing with like fiction we're so past this we don't really know what you offer so all what they have to then do is don't worry we offer loads of social good we can help you with your in- inclusivity and diversity agendas. We can, you know, we can help you understand morally. What does this really mean? All these questions. Well, no, you don't. We can. We've got philosophy for that. We can. We can talk about ethics in general. We don't actually need theology. We don't need God, because we've decided that we're running on a, a, a secular, um, um, secular kind of agenda for how we understand knowledge, and it, therefore we don't need theology. It's just a completely nonsense thing. So those, the only theology departments that really do well are those that can pull in money. Um, for the university in, in other ways. So they try and do that by basically diluting, compromising on the theology. And often those are the universities then validating the Bible colleges. Because where Bible colleges used to go like, right, we're going to be off to the side, we're going to set up in a rural location, um, and we're going to just be almost monastic, and then training missionaries send them out. That's what Cliff was, that's what many of the Bible colleges have been. But then, of course, they need the kudos, they need the reputation 
the validation. They need to be able to charge higher fees. Therefore, they've got to give someone a, a certificate that means something at the end of it. Um, and the repute that you get from it. So I, I'm not against validation per se. I think there are still va- values to it. I just think the systems we're plugged into, they've all moved so far. The universities have gone off a cliff. That's a great metaphor we've been using. <laughs> you've been using. Um, and it, it, we're, we're losing more than we gain from it now. So even chatting to some of the guys at Cliff, the, the, uh, there's two guys in their 80s who are the archivists who were there back in the 50s when Billy Graham preached at the college. They would say a lot of this culture of the college shifted in the 90s when validation came in. So again, I'm not saying validation is always wrong, but the kind of current mode of validation I think is because because it's obvious that all the colleges have shifted or, or if they haven't shifted, they're not willing to speak about these things. So just one more thing on it would be t- to say, if I, if you and I started a university today, right, and our part of the gaps, part of the gaps university, gaps university. And, and on your HB inkjet printer, you printed off a certificate. Andy Ballester, Aaron Edwards have signed it. People would say, well, that's a Mickey Mouse university. Part of the gaps is just a made-up university. Like, it's a made-up certificate. And then you think, okay, so what is an Oxford certificate then? What's a certificate from Oxford University other than a made-up certificate, which is, it has kudos and value and gravitas because we recognize something of the Oxford name. It's all, all it is is a brand. And it's a brand that Oxford did take a long time to earn, and so did Cambridge, etc. But now Cambridge has redefined what a woman is, doesn't know what a woman is. So should we be trusting the repute of a university which doesn't know how to define a woman? Um, and, th- and can't we start thinking of those as Mickey Mouse certificates? And there, there might come a time when the people that you actually trust, because you think they're actually sound and, and have something to say theologically, might be more trustworthy. So an inkjet Andy Bannister certificate at home might be worth more, I mean, in terms of repute amongst the people you care about oh having repute go. amongst. It's sort of five minutes to go, you you know, you raise a you raise another can of Yeah. <laughs> Let me say a couple of things in, in reaction to that. Firstly, I, I I entirely agree with you. And it's interesting that people don't stop and think about this. I mean in one sense this is not this is not disanalogous to currency. If you start asking questions, yeah. like you've got a five-pound note in your pocket, the old, think of the old-fashioned thing where you've actually got a piece of money. Why, why is that piece of paper worth five pounds or five dollars for, uh, for, 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 for ungrateful colonists overseas? Mm. Um, it's because it's backed by something. Traditionally, in this country, it was backed by the gold mm. standard, that the Bank of England actually yeah. had gold reserves. That was why your, mm. your money was worth something. Now, one of the reasons economy, econ- economies are in such a mess, all the gold reserves have been sort of sold off. There is no real backing. Money is just a fiction. as a game we, we mm. play. And, mm. and it's exactly the same. Yeah, you're right with, with university education. It's only because the Oxford name is worth something or the, or the Manchester University mm. name is worth something. Now, but a couple of things have happened, I think, that make this even more surreal. Aaron. Firstly, as, as you say, some of those you know, old big league universities are, quite frankly, so nonsensical that, you know, what is the brand really mean anymore? Mm. In other cases mm. of going, the brand is just the word degree. So quite frankly, mm. of going, if you go to London School of Theology and you get a degree from Middlesex University, who the hell, pardon me, my directness, cares about Middlesex University? Most Britons couldn't could put, couldn't mark Middlesex on a, on a on a map because it's a strange mm. geographical curiosity. Certainly Americans can't. It sounds almost a bit naughty, actually. Mm. Um <laughs> <laughs> Manchester University, it's, it's you're playing this game of going, well, I've got a degree. Um, mm. But most people don't ask where it's from. So it's this real smoke and mirrors thing. Mm. But here's the other thing that mm. comes with it that really winds me up. Going, if you are going to theological college, 
because you want to go and be a missionary, because you felt God has called you to go to the mission field. I have friends on the mission field. You know, my closest friends are missionaries in Thailand of going. Now, if you want to get a degree to go and do something like to get a qualification to go and do that, fantastic, get trained. But why would you want mm-hmm. to commit yourself to coming out of college three years later with 12, 13, 14,000 pounds more of debt to go and work for a Christian organization where you're going to struggle to pay that back, saddled with vast amounts mm-hmm. of money? Would it not be better to rethink theological education and go, look, for those mm-hmm. who want to go the academic route, I think we do need accreditation pathways open. Although, quite frankly, mm-hmm. if you want to go make an impact in academia, why not just go to, to, to the secular academy? To take well, someone, exactly, like, yeah. someone like my friend Amy or Ewing, known, known, known probably to many listeners. You know, Amy did her, her, her degree at Oxford University because she said, I knew it wasn't Christian, but I wanted to be exposed and challenged and fight that mm. because I wanted to get toughened up. Result, she yeah. can play with the big yeah. boys and girls because she's gone that route. Quite frankly, it would have been not really worth her while going to London School of Theology, paying similar fees and ending up with a degree mm. from Middlesex University, much as I love my alma mater. But then what we need is I think a non-accredited route where the price is much, much, much lower. Because look, if, so, if someone came to work off, if someone applied for a job with me at Solas and said, I don't have a formal degree, but I've done three years of education at whatever the institution is, mm. I can go, okay, well, show me your transcripts. Let me see what you've studied mm. and let me see who taught you. I go, okay, you've been mm. taught by people whose names yeah. I know, whose work I, I, yeah. I, I, I admire. Yeah. That college has got a track record. I don't care that it hasn't mm. got a degree on the top. What I care is you've had great training, you've come with great mm. references, you've worked hard, you show you can, you've mastered the issues that I need you to understand mm. if you're going to work for a ministry like us. Yeah, I'd love to hire you. Um, and not, Andy, not only that, presumably if someone applied to Solas and they had a degree, a kind of from a woke university or Bible college, you might actually be more dubious and go, oh gosh, you have to, un- you have to unlearn some stuff because you've actually been indoctrinated. It's actually not even the case that it's an added value. It's a minus value well, yeah, sometimes. Take, take Cliff College, with all due respect, if someone came to me and, I, and, they're, and, they're, and they're, yeah, and their path would be, oh, I've been to Cliff College and I'm looking to, to do ministry, I'd go, right, okay, I need to ask some questions. I can't trust that mm. you've been to that institution, therefore you're, you're kosher. Whereas actually somebody who comes to me going, I've spent three years working, working with, you know, working with Amy or Ewing or working with Michael Lotz or working with Glenn Scrivener, names I trust. I'm going to, that reputation is going to count for more than I've got a piece of paper saying that I've, I've played some academic game. And by the way, the other thing I want to quickly throw in, which is very dangerous because we're running rapidly out of time. The other thing we touched on that comes with all of this is I despair that a lot of, uh, you know, Christian institutions, because of the reason we've described, end up playing the language game Route that oh, theology yeah. collapses to language games. It's all about it's all about words. We don't actually mm. believe things with conviction anymore. Mm. You know, I've seen mm. too many really good people who are on fire for Christ go into theological education. You know, and and, and almost just lose that edge mm. because it's all word games. Mm. And you know, mm. and that doesn't mean that. Uh, and sometimes the pushback is, well, okay, we want people to be rigorous. Oh my word! A generation ago, we had we've had great conservative with a small c yeah. scholars, men and women yeah. who are utterly rigorous. Um, yeah, this is not the case. I mean, look at the you know, look at Spurgeon, mm. look at C.S. Lewis, look at the look at the Wesleys, look at John John Newton, yeah. look at Dorothy L. Sayers. Look at the list goes on and on. Yeah, great Christian yeah. men and women, great thinkers, but you know, great yeah. thinking for them didn't equate. I can shuffle words around like yeah. you know, puzzle pieces playing a game. But I think that that's infected theology. And just to say, it's it's not even 
it's not even that the academy is rigorous anymore. If only it was. Like, if you go and look at how theology used to be done, there's far more rigor in a more conservative institution because they have a different motivation for their rigor. It's like they believe that they want to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go go look at like Augustine or John Calvin if you want to understand what like theological rigor looks like. And many theologians since then, it's the, the current academics who are writing very complicated monographs with lots of footnotes. And I, I write complicated sounding things as well. It's part of the game. You, you, you're part of you're in that world. And there is a value to the critical rigor. I don't want to despise, I don't want to despise everything relating to the academy. My own, own route has probably been similar to Amy or Ewing's. All of my education was in universities, not in Bible colleges. I've never been to a Bible college as a student before, only as a as a lecturer. And um, I think there is a value in learning how the what we call the Wissenschaftlich game works in the sense of seeing knowledge in that kind of enlightenment perspective where you're seeing how how people are looking at, uh, at, um, at knowledge in the modern world and in that kind of modern worldview. But it loses a huge amount of rigor on the other side because it's open to ideology and yet it thinks it isn't. So that's why I say you'd have to unpick degrees that people have had in these in these kind of other places because you think, well, I don't actually know if you've just been indoctrinated by a kind of leftist way of thinking here, which tells you that it's kind of open-minded and critical. It's not actually that critical. It's like there's loads of stuff you're not allowed to talk about in universities. You know, my sacking is a perfect example of that. An academic free speech issue. You, you can't actually say what you really want to say was the point was the university was supposed to be the place where you could have an open mind and explore truth wherever it leads that's no longer true anymore because because there's so many ideologies which say well, you can't challenge this you can't question that there needs to be a safe space for that so actual academic rigor has, has been lost in the academy so we actually need to find new ways of finding that rigor for the sake of rigor so we're not actually saying oh we don't care about rigor anymore we should just be activists and go out and and uh, evangelize. We want to evangelize and do mission and be very thoughtful and theologically astute. And the, but the best way to do that is probably longer term, not going to be in those traditional academic roots, unless they're going to be reformed, which they might be. But I don't see any obvious reason why they would be right now. And, and just to use a tiny, even an example of this, in, in during COVID, I think ma- ma- most universities had ridiculous sort of measures of trying to ensure there was no disadvantage uh, to students who are during COVID. So so rather than the university that we were validated by, they, they made a blanket policy that anyone who got a mark lower than their average during the COVID-affected period, they just got whatever their average was before COVID. So I had a master's student who'd gotten four distinctions. They had 120 credits. They'd got four distinctions in their four essays. They had to write their dissertation to go for 60 credits, and then they were going to finish their MA. And the email had been said, I just got this email from the college based from the university is it true that if i hand in my dissertation now and get zero just with my name on it i will still get a distinction overall and i was like i'm afraid i think that's the case (laughs) i'm so sorry it makes us like i was like so you think of what the point of a university so though there's all these let's say good intentions of trying to ensure people aren't discriminated against that is a good kind of christian value but they've gone to such an extent that they've actually lost academic rigor and they're probably slipping in their standards in order to just kind of maintain some kind of, again, woke diversity, inclusivity agenda, which actually is lo- losing their kind of foundations of what they're supposed to exist for. So, yeah, that's kind of my, my rant over. Your rant over. And I think not a bad bombshell to end on. So, yeah, what we need is rigor, but what we've got is rigor mortis. 
<laughs> oh, look at that. How long have you had that in the in the in the I, cooker? I popped it in my head about three minutes ago, so I thought I just need to. I need to, <laughs> I need to, I need to, I need to that was going to come in. Whatever happens, you're going to come the other in. Thought, the other thought, good as well. Um, you know, because obviously this has been in some ways quite a depressing podcast as we diagnose the issues. The thing that gives me hope. Oh, well, two things give me hope. Firstly, that that, that that Christ is Lord and that for all the foolishness of humanity, um, you know, that doesn't really affect things overall. Really Thankfully, he's sovereign and we aren't. Um, but the other thing that encourages me, Aaron, is you look back through history when, you know, things have gone wrong in culture before, you know, look through the, you know, I'm, I know the term dark ages is a bit simplistic, but, you know, there have been down, there have been times in history that have been very difficult and actually there have been faithful Christians who have kept the torch mm. of education alive and have reinvigorated yeah. the institutions. And I think we're entering a similar period now. I think a, a lot of the things that currently exist are going to die, and they deserve to, you know, to be direct. Cliff College, quite frankly, and there might be others we might name, but this is the one we've mainly talked about on the show, you know, deserves to collapse. No institution deserves to exist. Um, but in its place, there will come other institutions mm. and other structures. As, as faithful Christian men and women, inspired by the Spirit, get that vision to do something different. Mm. And um, mm. yeah, sometimes you need to you need to see the dead wood get cleared away and the weeds cleared away for the ground to mm. come with something fresh. So I'm 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 both you know there's a challenge. I'm partly disheartened, but I'm also hugely excited for what comes. Oh yeah, there's far more excitement. Yeah, yeah definitely. There's, there's loads a, of people gathering. Yeah, I just yeah. come back from a, you know a Christian festival in in in, in Wales uh, called Word Alive. Four and a half thousand you know fi- faithful. Small C conservative Bible believing Christians worshiping there. But what really got me excited, a thousand students, there's a big student presence at Word Alive. And I was just so excited mm. to be young and young men and women passionate for the gospel with a vision and a heart to just go out there and put a dent in the universe. And I'm like, you know what? Who knows mm. what that generation are going to accomplish? Um, so who knows what comes next? But some of the things that have come before perhaps deserve to die. And on that bombshell. I guess we've reached the end of the episode. So this has on been... that universal dent. Yes, that dent. Well, it was, a, it was a Steve Jobs who found an Apple line. He likes to talk about putting a dent in the universe. Is I, it, yeah, I like, okay. I like, I like, I like that. Without just, you'll be careful the arrogance because we're only mortal and Christ is well, Lord. You've got to care about like, the climate change. Isn't there climate change optics there? Aren't people going to say, "Well, that, we've been putting a dent in the universe"? You know, you're going to worry all the climate activists. Really exciting about you know, I love looking back through history. And seeing mm. the men and women who God got hold of and and did that, you know, missions history is full of people who went. You know what? I've got an impossible, impossible dream. Yeah. Whether it was founding a Bible college, whether it was going to be a missionary in the other side of the world, and people telling them you can't do that and not refusing to listen. Mm. So, if you're listening to this show and you're a young, you know, fired up Christian, you want to put, you know, change theological education. You're sitting there thinking, oh, I can't do that. I'm too small. Yeah, not too small. With 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 mm. with, with with Christ, with God's Spirit in you, you can change the world. And if you listen to uh, if you listen to this episode, you want to write a little reflection on it. Me and Andy will print you off a certificate, a degree, a part of the gaps. We'll give you a full BA <laughs> immediately. I, I, I certify that I listened to their episode, so I have actually you know, and I've understood it. So there you are. There's your degree. Well, we'll send we it to you. Just, just... We give you a, a banister and uh, a banister and Aaron qualification. That's a BA right there. Oh, good banister Aaron. That's good. Happy to accept that. Good. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye. And for me. And for him. I think. I presume I'm not staying on the call. (laughs) (laughs) Bye bye.